Well, our pastors are on a series called the Numa, which is from the New Testament Greek, meaning uh, spirit. And in this series, it's all about Holy Spirit, who he is, what he's done, and what he's still doing. And this is an immense topic. I mean, in our Bible school alone, this is 14 weeks. So this is a real big topic. Uh, so our church is doing this on Sunday and Wednesday nights, uh, messages on this topic. So tonight I want to speak on an aspect of Holy Spirit regarding the, the gifts he brings to the church. And a supernatural church will require supernatural gifts to accomplish a supernatural task. We have to think that way. This has nothing to do with our intellect or hard work or because people just think we're so wonderful. No, this is a supernatural work he has started, and he has to continue it. I've been invited to co-labor in his field. I've been invited to join, and I'm very grateful to him for that. But I need supernatural gifts to accomplish this because it is a supernatural task. God forbid we rely on men's intellects and educations. They could never accomplish a spiritual supernatural task. So, there are several sets that Holy Spirit of gifts that he brings— Tonight we're going to look at only one set of gifts, which is an introduction to the ascension gifts of the Holy Spirit. So let's pray. Holy Spirit, we invite you tonight to speak to our hearts, uh, to bring us revelation tonight, Holy Spirit, on a personal level, that uh, the callings of these gifts speak to our hearts tonight, that you would be our teacher tonight by your anointing, and that uh, all this would bring us light in these days ahead as we serve you. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. Okay, so let's look at the ascension gifts. They're called the ascension gifts because Jesus ascended into heaven and he left this physical realm allowing Holy Spirit to bring gifts to us as he ascended. So they're called the ascension gifts. And we find them in the book of Ephesians here. So let's go to Ephesians chapter 4. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives and gave gifts to men. Well, let's stop there. This is a paraphrase from uh, Psalm 68, verse 18. How about that? It's not a direct quote. It's a paraphrase. So when people say, oh, I can't remember Scripture too well. Well, apparently Paul can't either because he paraphrased it. So I guess that's okay. Oh, there's this one Scripture, gosh, in, uh, was it Hebrews? Where it says, and it says somewhere, couldn't quote it. <laughs> so I guess it's okay. So here he paraphrases Psalm 68, verse 18, and we see the word captives. These represent the Old Testament saints, the whole ones accredited to them as righteousness. These captives were those in the Old Testament believers who had righteousness credited to them by faith that we see in the Word of God, who resided in where the Bible called the uh, paradise or Abraham's bosom. And when Jesus descended into Hades and broke the enemy's power and authority that he stole from Adam uh, by his uh, cross and death, he then defeats the devil, sets free these Old Testament believers, and brings them into heaven then he arises from the dead. So, uh, we have here in verse 14, uh, I'm sorry, chapter 4, verses 11 to 14. Let's go on and at this overview here and see more clarification about these gifts. Verse 11, and he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers. Now, we tend to stop there when we're reading this. And rather than continue, well, why do they exist? Verse 12, we have the answer. 
for the equipping of the saints through the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. So another word here for ascension gifts is equipping gifts. Some people call them that. That's fine. Uh, these are equipping gifts in the body of Christ here in verse 12. Uh, they are like um, spiritual boot camp instructors that are uh, preparing that body of Christ for war, right? That beautiful bride of Christ wears army boots. If this side of heaven, you are in a war. This side of heaven, we are in battle. We are the army of the Lord, this side of heaven. And uh, we are given instructions on how to accomplish this great task. So another word here is for ministry gifts, equipping, equipping gifts. Another word for the ascension gifts is the ministry gifts. That's another common expression. And another one, the fivefold ministry gifts. So this has several different names. All right, verse 13. It goes on to, to declare the purpose for this. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to the mature man, to the measure of the statue which belongs to the fullness of Christ. So it tells us here in verse 13 that until we attain unity of the faith, we should be working towards maturity as believers. This is an ongoing process till Christ returns because the body of Christ has not yet attained the unity in the faith, and it won't this side of heaven until the Lord returns. But we work towards it. The Lord knows those who are in faith in the body of Christ towards one another, and that's what we want to strive towards. Verse 14, as of the result, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and fro by every w uh, waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by the craftiness in deceitful schemes. So we see here in verse 14, as a result of these gifts operating, we can avoid a spiritual immaturity. The Lord never wants his church to be spiritually immature. And being like gullible little children that would believe anything that came along and easily fall into deception. I don't know what age it stops at, but there's some age where if you tell a child, there's a pink elephant outside, they're going to run to the door and look for that pink elephant. Then sooner or later they go, give me a break. So, you know, they, they, they don't believe you. But there is an age when they're overly gullible. And we are not to be that way as believers in the spirit realm. So overly gullible. Okay, so we don't fall uh, for uh, the, uh, the heresies. These gifts, if they don't operate in their fullness, we will be in error and will fall by abused heresies and with the Bible cause teaching of demons. All right, so back here to verse 11. We have the ascension gifts. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers. Uh, more important here is perspective. How do we view the order of these? That's an important question because uh, people are mistaken sometimes when they look at this order. In our cultural thinking, people tend to look at this as an order of superiority. That would be an error on our part, not taking the whole New Testament into consideration. The ascension gifts do not work as a military model of superiority. General, colonel, major, captain, lieutenant. They don't work like that. They function instead in roles. The roles differ, but not in superiority. Another suggestion here for order, what I do like, there's an order here from broad to specific. The uh, church at large needs apostles and prophets and evangelists to establish its growth. 
But the local church, the expression of it, needs pastoring and teaching. That's a grassroots level. So that's a, I like that concept better of what we're looking at here. Um, the local church is the authority God appointed uh, here on this earth. Did you ever realize there are no national church leaders? Now, that is not a biblical mindset. There are no national church leaders. For some people, I just dropped you a bomb on you because you believe there are. Actually, national church leaders is a denominational mindset. It's also a democracy mindset, and that is not Christianity. There was a wonderful man of God, I mean wonderful, in the 1700s. His name was Jonathan Edwards. Good guy, really good guy. But one mistake Jonathan made was he wanted to mix democracy with Christianity. He thought that was a good thing. And all the voting churches that you see today, or the aspect of democracy and Christianity, all came from Jonathan Edwards. He meant well. He was a good man. But that's not a biblical mindset. God's uh, system is not a democracy. It's a theocracy. He's in charge. And we have to yield to him. Well, I don't know. Maybe we ought to vote on it. No, we don't vote on it. We either follow him or we walk away. We don't vote. So anyway, um, that's problems that we have as we think because of the way we've been raised. Especially since the early 1900s, Americans have become dependent on the national federal government in their mindset. And Americans have passed that along to Christianity. They want to look who are their national leaders uh, in Christianity. Obviously, they have them in the nation. Uh, but is that the biblical mindset? No. The biblical mindset is the local church. The best example of that, it's worth looking at, is in the book of Acts. We'll look at it briefly here. Three times in the book of Acts, we have James, the pastor of the church in Jerusalem, he's mentioned. And he's looked at as the final decision maker for this local church. That's an amazing statement. Dr. Barclay, a fine uh, biblical scholar from years back, uh, points out that he's the real leader of the Christian church in Jerusalem. A pastor not an apostle. He's the brother of Jesus, the natural brother of Jesus from Mary that she had with Joseph, not James the apostle. So in an example here to summarize here in Acts chapter 15, there's a crisis that arose in the church. And the question is, can a Gentile become a Christian? Can a non-Jew become a Christian? They were all Jews. So what do we do with these Gentiles who want to receive Jesus? What do we do? In verse 6 it says, the apostles and the elders that's the church, the elders, came together to look into this matter. They have this big conference. Peter, an apostle, makes a speech in verses 7 to 11, offers his view. After Peter is done speaking in verse 12, it says, all the people kept silent. And they were all listening to Barnabas and Paul as they were relating all the signs and wonders that God had done uh, through them among the Gentiles. Wow. So here we have Paul and Barnabas. They throw in their report. They're apostles. Then in verse 13, the pastor of the Jerusalem church, James, speaks and says, after they stopped speaking, James responded saying, brothers, listen to me. Look at what James says here in verse 19. Therefore, it is my judgment 
that we do not cause trouble for those from the Gentiles who are turning to God. Then he goes on to say in verse 22, then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders and the whole church. Wow, here you have the pastor of the local church makes the final judgment and final decision, not the apostles. Wow, that runs cross-grain to how we think as Americans. Uh, Americans have looked to evangelists for the past hundred years or so to be national leaders. That's error. Uh, there's been a movement in the 1980s, 1990s to look to prophets and apostles as national leaders of the church. This is error. If apostles and prophets are to be national leaders of a nation of Christians in the first century, then why would James, the pastor of Jerusalem, here in the book of Acts, make the final decision? And not Peter. He was one of the original 12 of Jesus. Paul was there. Wrote half your New Testament. He was there. No, the pastor of the church of Jerusalem made the final decision. It's the local church that holds the authority in the kingdom of God, each individual local sovereign church. Unfortunately, we live more by tradition today as Christians than we do live biblically. But God's plans have never changed. And that's the good news there. So another important issue we see here with these um, fivefold gifts is that how do we view these actual men and women? Yes, there are women. How do we view them? In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, what the Apostle Paul calls the, uh, calls the knowledge of the glory of God, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Wow. So another name of these ministry gifts could be treasures in earthen vessels. That is not the man or the woman, but the gift of God that is in them. And we look to Holy Spirit for that. And we look to Holy Spirit for these gifts. Any gift Holy Spirit has is a treasure in this physical body, this earthen vessel. And we deeply appreciate those men and women and how they have responded to the call of God on, in their lives. But we know them in the spirit and not after the flesh. That's a big key. If we knew them after the flesh, it would be, well, I accept you as a man, as a pastor, but I don't accept you as a woman, as a pastor. Hey, that's out there. That's knowing people after the flesh. Well, I don't want an older pastor. I want a more senior one. I don't want a young pastor. You're knowing them after the flesh. Is it, is it the gift in them or their age? So, with, okay, rhetorical. So with this in mind, it's important that we do not relate uh, these gifts in people after the flesh, but instead after the spirit. That's very important. Too many people look to the person or the personality of the person in the natural. I like this elder more than I like that elder. That is carnal. We don't want to live like that. We appreciate the gifts that God has put in them. Uh, the Apostle Paul also tells us here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16, Therefore we now, uh, therefore from now on we recognize no man according to the flesh. That is, no, we don't look to the outward man, but to the inward man, especially these spiritual gifts we're talking about. So, um, we also need to consider that as we sit under these gifts, we need to listen for the gift operating. Now, that's an odd thing to say. Uh, we need to sit and draw from the anointing 
that's on that gift. Uh, there are people who sit under pastoral anointings and they don't like it because the guy's not a prophet. Or they don't like it because the guy's not an evangelist. Hey, let the pastoral gift speak to you. I've used the example, I'll use it again. If I'm in a college class and I walk into an English literature class and I sit down and the guy starts English literature and I say, whoa, 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 wait, wait, wait. I want to hear algebra. Well, we don't teach algebra here. This is an English literature class, but I want algebra. Well, then why don't you go to an algebra class? I speak English literature. And that's the same thing. We listen to pastors and we expect an evangelist. That's not an evangelist speaking to you. That's a pastor speaking to you. There's a pastoral anointing, not an evangelistic anointing. And they, and they scold pastors because they're not leading enough to Christ. He's not an evangelist. He's a pastor. Why don't you sit under a pastor's anointing and receive from a pastor? Like if you're in an English literature class, listen to English literature, all right? Stop trying to find algebra. The guy probably doesn't even know it. But anyway, back here to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ. Now, I mentioned this already, that these gifts exist, that we would be equipped for work that the church needs to do. I need spiritual equippings to do a spiritual work. To build up the body of Christ is like a building being erected. There's many scriptures on that that we're not going to look at tonight uh, about the we are a building being built up and erected. It shows us that uh, Jesus' supernatural church needs supernatural giftings to accomplish this supernatural building up. We need to be trained. We need to be equipped. When you come to sit in a church service to hear the Word of God, did you ever sit and go, well, I'm being equipped today? You are. You're being equipped. You're being trained. I'm in training right now. You are in training right now. That's exactly correct. There's a spiritual training here happening. We don't think like that, but that's what's happening. These ministry gifts do exactly that. So when you're sitting under the gifts of the Holy Spirit that he would have in me, a supernatural equipping is being done by Holy Spirit. It has nothing to do with your rational mind or me in the natural Holy Spirit does this. Our rational minds, our brains, our tools, yes, but they're not our servants. We use them, uh, that is, we don't serve the mind. We use them as servants to us to serve the Lord. We're being constructed. We're being constructed upon, okay? Built up upon to serve the Lord. That's the good news. All right, here in verse 13, as we said before, it tells us that we are to attain the unity of the faith, that we should become mature, this is an ongoing process until Christ returns. A similar comment here that Paul makes in Colossians chapter 1, verse 28, which is a really important scripture, especially for the church of grace and peace. We proclaim him admonishing every man, person and teaching every person with all wisdom that we may present every person complete in Christ. Let's go to the Amplified Bible again. We proclaim him warning and instructing everyone in all wisdom. That is, with comprehensive insight into the Word and purposes of God, so that we may present every person complete in Christ, mature, fully trained, and perfect in Him, the anointed. Fully trained, mature, and anointed. Uh, many years back, um, Pastor Walter Healy had said that was a foundational scripture for his life. 
and thus the Church of Grace and Peace, an extension of it. And when I heard that, I was shocked and amazed. Why? Because that's a scripture the Lord gave me for my life. And I told them that, and we both laughed. And, I, I, and then we realized, well, it looks like the origins of the Church of Grace and Peace is a church built upon ministry gifts equipping the body of Christ. That's the uniqueness of this church. We're a unique equipping center for the body of Christ with two of its pastors having the exact same scripture as part of their calling, which is like amazing. That usually just doesn't happen. So with all this in mind, let's look briefly here now at these um, fivefold ministry gifts. Um, yeah. Okay, um, we have to be a little brief tonight because we could spend a night on each of these. So we can't do that tonight, but we certainly can go to do a nice overview. So let's go into that now. Um, apostles. Uh, this comes from the Greek word apostolos, A-P-O-S-T-O-L-O-S, and it means a delegate. So now you know what an apostle is. He's a delegate in the original Greek. That's the guy's job. He's a delegate. He's one who is sent with power to act for another. It's sometimes translated, this word, in the New Testament as messenger. Okay. So apostle here is a messenger, a delegate sent from God. So a definition that we could have here is an apostle is a gifted leader taught by God. Usually these are not people taught by other people. Apostles usually have an odd calling where God teaches them directly. And they usually run cross-grain to the way it's always done with new revelation. They're, they're amazing people. Walter Healy was one of those taught by God. Um, so they're sent by God, taught by God, commissioned by God with the authority to establish a foundational government for the church. How do we do what we do? Uh, their sphere of influence, their sphere of influence has been the one that they're assigned to. So an example, we had a gentleman here, he's gone home to be with the Lord. He was a missionary we supported in India, Paul Pillai. Who remembers Paul Pillai? Hair, grace, and peace. Oh, a few of you do. Okay. Um, Paul was without a doubt an apostle in India. No question about it. The, the giftings this man had was incredible. But when he came here, he was not an apostle. He was actually a missionary. In India, he served as an apostle in his fear of influence, but not here. This was not his fear of influence. Um, so it's a gift of, of the grace of God to the church, as we see here in Ephesians 4.11. It's a supernatural gift. You can't learn this. All you can do is mature in it. And these people are builders. They know how things fit together. And they know how they should operate. There's an old illustration. Nobody knows where it comes from. Probably the 1920s. My guess is Howard Carter, who is a British Bible teacher. It's the illustration of the hand. Anybody ever seen that illustration? Oh, you got to read more. Have you seen it? Yeah, Pastor Jim has saw it. Okay. There was this one guy one time. I couldn't believe this. I went to this one pastor's conference. He, he said, he's trying to sell his book on this. And he said, God gave me this revelation. I'm like, no, he didn't. That's from the 1920s. He's taking credit for something somebody else did. This guy's got a lot of nerve. All right, there's the hand. We have the thumb, the uh, index finger, the middle finger, the ring finger, the pinky. The apostle represents the thumb. The prophet represents, uh, well, let's go backwards. 
well, let's go four cards. The apostle represents the thumb. The uh, prophet represents the index finger. The evangelist is the middle finger. The pastor is the ring finger. And the pinky is the teacher. The apostle, oh, let's go back to this first. The prophet, the prophet is the pointer. He's the pointer finger. Middle finger, it's the longest one. The evangelist has the longest reach. Ring finger, hey, wedding ring. Pastor is married to the church. Right? Every pastor is a bigamist. He has two wives, his own wife and the church. Thus, the pinky, it's the smallest finger. It can get in your ear. But the thumb, it touches all the fingers. That's an apostle. The ability to touch all those gifts. Because, as some have taught, and I think it's correct, some apostles can do the work of all the ascension gifts, if needed. And Paul Pillai, going back to that illustration, when he first started in the early 1960s, he was an evangelist. He led so many people to Christ, he became their pastor and teacher. Then he operated prophetically. Now, here in our church, he did occasionally. And, of course, he had apostolic leadership that he did in India. He touched all the fingers. Yet he was one person with one goal. He's the, he's the apostle. But he has that supernatural gifting. I mean, one time here at the altar when he ministered, uh, I don't know what happened. I was asked to go with him. All right, so I went with him from person to person. And I'm telling you, the way, the way this guy prophesied over people, this is beyond word of knowledge, word of wisdom, gift of prophecy. This guy is a prophet speaking. It's like he spoke deep into their lives about things no one knew about but them. And I'm going there, whoa. I was amazed at what he was doing. He doesn't even know these people. And it's coming out in broken English. I mean, I'm like, wow. That, what a prophetic anointing this guy had. But only when he ministered to people. He was an apostle. They had that operating. Okay, so they, uh, apostles, they, when they work, they, uh, they work with the other ascension gifts in unique ways to accomplish establishing the kingdom of God. But they don't lord over them. Hey, I'm the boss. That's not how they act. If they do, they're not apostles. Apostles never act like that. Paul Pillai was one of the humblest men we ever met. And he certainly could toot his own horn if he wanted to, but never did. I remember Pastor Walt asked him to close the service in prayer. And he actually said, no, you would probably do a better job. You do it. And Walt kind of looked at him like, what incredible humility. Yes, I'll do that, brother. I have the anointing for that. No, no. Humblest man you ever met in your life. Absolutely amazing. Okay, so what do they do? Well, first of all, they receive revelation for the church. Not outside or apart from the Word of God. That's Mormonism. God forbid we do things like that. But they do receive revelation from the Word of God for the church to be established. They set doctrine for the church. Doctrine is simply we gather a pattern of scriptures on a given topic, and we have understanding how to live out this topic as believers. They cast vision for the church. They know what the church should do to penetrate the society. Very recently, Lauren Cunningham went home to be with the Lord. He was one of the first people ever to come up with the teaching of uh, the Seven Mountain Ministry. That's an apostolic thought. And uh, obviously, how the church should penetrate society. That's definitely an apostolic teaching. Uh, they cast vision. Uh, I just said that. They, <laughs> they um, birth projects in the kingdom of God. Uh, they govern. In other words, they set things in motion of how the church should behave. They teach and equip others 
for the work of ministry. They war in the spirit realm in prayer. And very important, they align generations. They see long-range perspectives of what has to be done, and they raise up new generational leaders to carry it on. They're very unselfish people. And they also recognize upcoming apostles, or they validate apostolic works that are out there. Let me give you my personal testimony, because it sure came as a surprise to me. Um, as our Bible school, we belong to the, um, the uh, Apostolic, uh, the, uh, um, apostolic Council for uh, Educational Accountability. Anyway, um, this is run by apostles, and I, I usually go there once a year, but I haven't been there in a few years. And um, wonderful men from all over the world, and they train, talk about biblical education in the local church, blah, blah, blah. Well, they were talking to me one time, two of the head leaders there, and they asked me, do you do anything outside of the Church of Grace and Peace? I'm just curious. I said, yeah, I have an incorporated ministry, and I go to minister to Native Americans, uh, Navajo Nation. Uh, I bring the word of God. They go, really? You do? I said, yeah. Do you receive money from them? I said, no, not a dime. They're poor. We need money to go there. And they looked at me, do you know what you're doing? Uh, I teach the Word of God. <laughs> they said, when you go out to a people and not receive monies, that's a mission work. When you go to an indigenous people and do that, that's an apostolic work. And I looked at them, and it like all of a sudden, boing, instant witness. Like, whoa, I never realized that. They just spoke into my life. I'm not an apostle. But when I'm out there to do what I do, I realize now I'm doing an apostolic work. And based on the things I see and the people I meet, I can see it. Uh, they are <laughs> in great need. Uh, but wow, that really spoke to me. But I would not have come up with that on my own. It took apostles to validate an apostolic work that I didn't even see. And it certainly witnessed to me. So I'm like, wow, okay, that didn't come from left field. That really witnessed. So, hey, they do that. That is their gifting and ability. Thank God they do things like that. Because a lot of people out there are serving the Lord, doing a good work. But you're always like, am I really in God's will here? Is this really of the Lord? And an apostle comes along and says, you are of the Lord and what you're doing. It's like salt in their shaker. Now they have purpose. There's no second guessing what they do. They know now. Because they've received not the man, but a validation from heaven that came through that person. Amen. All right. Prophets. Prophets are, uh, as a person called by God, a supernaturally gifted person by God, separated for God's purposes. Prophets have always been God's mouthpiece to declare his message to men. So anything that is um, prophetic is that which is declared after Holy Spirit has deposited in that person to do so. Um, uh, prophets also do minister prophetically. Uh, prophetic ministry can be seen in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament, although their work is different in the New Testament. Got to catch this. This is important. A lot of people don't realize this. Is there any difference between the calling of a prophet in the Old Testament and the New Testament? No, it's identical. But the commission is different. If I was an officer in the, in, in the American Navy in the War of 1812 as, as a lieutenant, I have a commission, a specific set of duties I must accomplish. But if I'm an officer in the American Navy today and I'm a lieutenant, 
It's a whole different bunch of duties and assignments and responsibilities. Is the rank still the same, 1812 and now? Absolutely. Although I think they had a heavier weight. But anyway, yes, absolutely. But the commission is a world of difference. Here in the Old Testament, if you want, do you realize if you lived in the Old Testament and you wanted to hear from God, what do you do? You go to the prophet. You want to get right with God, you go to the priest and the sacrificial system. But if you want to hear from God, you go to the prophet. You don't go on your own. You can't. In the New Testament, as New Testament believers, I don't go through any man over my head. I go directly to Jesus. That does not invalidate a prophetic ministry, but I don't have to go through a prophet to hear from God. And if anyone teaches that, that is absolute heresy. I can go to Jesus on my own. He's my priest, my prophet, my king, my savior. I can go directly to him. But in the Old Testament, you couldn't do that. You had to go through the priests, the Levitical system, and if you want to hear from God, a prophet had to speak in God's behalf. Whoa. So, although there are prophets yesterday and today, in the same calling, the commission is different. Okay, now in the Hebrew here, uh, the concept of the word prophet means that which bubbles up. And the thought is that something bubbles up inside of them, and they bring it forth and announce it. Uh, this means it's not something premeditated, didn't come from the rational mind, and not a construct of the rational mind. It comes spontaneously. Usually, if you're sitting there and God speaks to, and you hear something spontaneously of the Lord, your premeditated mind didn't come up with that. That's Holy Spirit talking to you. That's how a prophet would operate. God prophetically, supernaturally speaks to the person. So, what do prophets do? Well, they predict. Uh, they reveal God's heart. They reveal the secret things in the spirit realm. They reveal truth. They tend to be very black and white people. There's, a little no, there's no gray with these people. I like gray. I have no problem with gray. They, ha they have no gray. They're very black and white. Now, in the Old Testament and also in the New Testament, hasn't changed. They expose sin. They proclaim, decree, and, uh, and declare the intentions of God. That's a big buzzword today in prayer, but it's a prophetic expression. They motivate. They challenge. They inspire. I think of Dr. Michael Brown when he's come to Grace and Peace in the past, who is a prophet. That certainly described him. He motivated, challenged, and inspired. They bring the uh, spiritual conviction of sin. If someone were to speak about sin, you might go, eh, well, uh, 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 well, uh. But if a prophet spoke on it, people would hit the floor in prayer. It's because of the anointing on when they speak. Um, they bring the rhema word of God, which means the fresh, alive, new word of God. Uh, and they also, like apostles, they war in the spirit realm in prayer. Uh, Dr. Michael Brown had said, as a prophet, his main role is to pray and intercede. He, most of his prophetic ministry, he had said, when he was here years ago, I don't know what he does today in that area, but was that his prophetic ministry was a prayer intercessory ministry above all. In other words, when he acted as, acted as a prophet, you would never know what he was doing because it was all done in the spirit realm. All right, let's look at the evangelists here. Evangelists, now here we got to clarify this a little bit, this title, because every believer is a living witness, you and me. Some of us are more gifted than others in witnessing our faith. That's true, right? Some are very, very good at it. Some, well, we try. Uh, 
Some are anointed to evangelize. They bring a lot of people to, to Christ. They have more success than others. But that doesn't make them evangelists. Isn't that something? Evangelism is the duty of the church, not a person. Evangelist is a spiritual, supernatural office in the body of Christ. Different from those who are anointed to get people saved, or they're witnessing machines, or they love to tell people about Jesus, or they get people saved. When an evangelist speaks, there's a supernatural drawing power at work to stir people from unsaved to salvation. It's actually an amazing thing to watch. Um, if the evangelist purposes to present a message of salvation, uh, the, the good news is presented as simplest as possible. To a point where people go, that's simple? That's all you're going to say? As simplest as possible. Evangelists are supposed to stick to the scriptures in their purest presentation. They have a supernatural ability to use scriptures to bring about the truths of salvation. You could duplicate their words, but you couldn't duplicate their effect because it's a supernatural effect. I remember one time, uh, Mark Candy, who was a member of our church, he was an evangelist. He traveled the world. He's gone home to be with the Lord. Many, many years ago, I think back in the 1980s when we were meeting in the school, he did this little presentation as a guest speaker, and they, they invited people to church. And I'm watching this presentation, and it looks so incredibly simplistic. I thought I was listening to someone in uh, Sunday School for Kids. And he gets done. Who here has never received Jesus as their Savior? About 40 hands go up in the air. And I'm like, no way. No way. From that, what he said? No way. That wasn't him. It was an anointing of the Holy Spirit. And 40 people come up to receive Christ. And I'm like, what just happened here? You saw an evangelist. That's what just happened here. It wasn't him. It was a supernatural anointing of God. If I did that, they would laugh at me or fall asleep. If someone else did that, wouldn't have that kind of response. Makes, makes a simple statement. Who wants to receive Jesus now as their Savior? Okay, and hands go up. You're like, huh? What's going on here? That is a, an evangelist at work. It's an anointing of God. Okay, pastors here. This is the most widely accepted ministry in the world and through the entire history of the Christian church. Pastoring should be a supernatural gift of a shepherd. Uh, it should be a supernatural gift to care for one's soul supernaturally as shepherds would tend sheep. It's not just being merciful and nurturing because some pastors are not that merciful and nurturing, but they have a gift to pastor. It's not intellectually learned, which is the way most modern churches in circles have treated this gift. Go to school and learn to be a pastor. It don't work like that. Education can sharpen your spiritual gift, but it can't give you one. The requirement is you must have a heart of the shepherd. You must have a love for sheep. And you have to have a willingness to lay down your life for the sheep. If you don't have that, you are not a pastor. I remember one time I visited a church. Uh, it was in the southern part of the state. It wasn't in, it wasn't in Smithsville. It was a little further than Smithsville. Smithsville has that little Methodist church there and cemetery. And there's a little further down, there's another one. And there was, these, there was this church historian 
Uh, this old guy, he knew all about the history of the church since it, since it began in the 1700s and, um, or early 1800s, I, I forgot when. And uh, apparently the, the, there was a war on with the British, might have been 1812. And um, the British came to the door because they knew there were American soldiers in there that were wounded, lying on the benches, being tended to, and they wanted to kill them. And he, the British soldiers come up to the door and the pastor enters the front of the door and says, no, you can't come in here. This is a sanctuary of God. So I said to the historian, what happened? Oh, they shot him. I went, what? <laughs> they, they shot him and then went in the church. I said, did you not see the forest through the trees here? That was a real pastor willing to lay his life down because that was what mattered. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. Absolutely amazing. Uh, I found it amazing. Um, it's very important here that pastors should carry God's burden for the people, not the people's burden. People will try to put a burden on you. They will try to make you hate what they hate, love what they want, love, want what they want, etc., etc., etc. You can't do that. You can't carry their burden. You have to carry God's burden for them. In other words, a real father gives their children what they need, not what they want. A real pastor should be bringing their church what they need, not necessarily what they want. Well, don't say nasty things to us. You know, don't tell us that, you know, homosexuality is not of Jesus. Don't they love the Lord too? I mean, well, my gosh, don't do that. Well, you have to speak the word of God whether people want to hear it or not. And let the, let the chips fall where they may. And uh, you bring the burden of God. You don't bring the burden of the people. God forbid you'd be such a coward. That should never happen. So shepherds uh, need to carry the sheep in prayer to the Father. That's one of their main jobs. Another requirement of the pastor is they must not be ignorant of the Word of God. And of course, uh, this is a local church, grassroots ministry, as I said. Now let's get into that a little bit again when we go to teachers here. Uh, in the, when talking about the teacher, in the uh, Ephesians chapter that we just read, it says pastors, teachers. Actually, in the New Testament Greek, it's a hyphen, pastor, teacher. It's not two separate. It's, it's a one-person thing that's a hyphen. It's very complicated and very hard to translate into English. So the most commonest, common application of the word teacher and pastor is pastor, teacher. But it's not the only application. That's the one we see here in Ephesians. Teacher is mentioned definitely in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 28, as a foundational establisher of the Lord's church, along with apostles and prophets. And certainly Paul, the apostle, is a classic teacher of the Word of God. Um, so, again, these are not superiority gifts, but functional gifts. Uh, so, uh, a teacher is not one that's educated and intellectually learned all alone. It's not an office intellectually learned or educated. It's a supernatural gift. It's a supernatural ability to communicate the Word of God for edifying, clarification, and spiritual growth. Teaching sound doctrine is always the teacher's ministry to the church. Teachers have a supernatural ability to communicate God's truth. They should always have it in a simplified truth. Seminaries tend to complicate everything. 
But teachers of the Word of God are meant to simplify the Word of truth. So teachers are there to put something in you, never take something out of you. It's also a watering process. Uh, we, the Word of God talks about the Word seed. The Word of God is seed in us. The teacher uh, waters the seed that you already have in you. And he waters it so that faith would come forth and that that seed would grow up to full fruition. And again, this is a divine gift uh, where the teacher is making the connection from the teacher's heart to the believer's heart, not from their head to the head. If I'm bringing this from my head to your head, I have failed. It has to be something from my heart to your heart, that you know something is being put inside you. Uh, a teacher's anointing will leave you refreshed. You'll feel revived. You'll feel enlightened and encouraged with enthusiasm in the Word of God and the things of God. That's what should be happening here. Pastors who can't teach, we call elders only. Because an elders are meant to rule and teach, it tells us in the Word of God. Uh, if they can't teach, then they have to rule. They're ruling elders. But a pastor must be able to teach. One problem we've had across the centuries is that this gifting of the teacher has caused more problems in the body of Christ than any other gift. Problem after problem. Teachers today are the primary cause of wrong beliefs, splits in the body of Christ, bad teaching. Uh, that is why the Word of God tells us they will incur a stricter judgment. You don't lead somebody astray. A lot of times when you say things, people never check what you say. They believe you. Okay, I get it. But all the more reason then, you, first of all, you should be checking. But all the more reason then, wow, you have a great responsibility uh, to keep your opinions to yourself, I guess, right? And make sure it's the Word of God. Or if it is your opinion, just say then, this is my opinion. But don't call it the Word of God. Um, church denominations have turned this into an intellectual pursuit. Uh, education without the gift of the Holy Spirit cannot make a teacher. Education can only sharpen your tools. It can't make you a spiritual teacher here. So as we go th went through these very briefly tonight as an overview, let's draw some conclusions here. One thing is that these gifts are needed to mature the body of Christ. And there have been studies done in countries, especially underdeveloped third world countries where they haven't had a lot of competent Christian teachers and apostles and prophets, they have a lot of error in what they believe as churches. Obviously, they need the ministry gifts to come to them. Uh, second thing we see here is that we should covet these gifts. We should thank God He gave us these gifts. We should uh, look, you know, well beyond the person and thank God that the gift is in them bringing that forth. Uh, third thing we should remember here is always to respect those in the body of Christ to whom these gifts have been given. And because they're cooperating with the anointing that's in their lives. It's to our benefit that we don't make their lives miserable. As it tells us, I'm paraphrasing, as it tells us in Hebrews. It's to our advantage that we cooperate with them. So the fourth thing is, um, we, could, we shouldn't leave here tonight with really asking, where are these callings here tonight. In this room, to people who would listen to this on podcast, where are tomorrow's uh, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers? Where are today's?
And one question we need to start with is, how do I know I'm called to this? Well, let me tell you a true story. I won't mention his name, but there was a Bible teacher, very prominent in the 1970s. And he did belong to a denomination. Uh, he was a good man and a good teacher. And they said to him, you know, you're such a good teacher. You're such a good Bible teacher. We'd like to have you help us in our missions department. He goes, what? We'd like to help you have the final interview for anyone who's going to go on the mission field. Because in this denomination, they're going to pay them. Yes, they probably have to gain support, but they're going to pay them. So they want to be really careful they don't send the wrong people. Because a lot of money is going to come out of that denomination to pay these people while they're in the mission field. He's like, you want me to do what? You want me to make the final decision? Do they go or not go? Yeah. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. No, 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 no. I don't want to do that. Oh, we think you're the person. I don't want to have that kind of responsibility. Uh-uh. Well, we know you'll do a good job. And they basically leave the guy. He's like, oh, gosh. So he went to prayer. He did not like this assignment. He wanted to be faithful to the domination he belonged to. He, he believed in them. They were good people. But he did not want to do this. So he prayed, and he got an answer from the Lord. He only really answered, asked these people who he interviewed one question. I hate, you know, they'd spit out their resume and t say what they're doing, and here's God's plan for my life, and they show it all. He'd go, uh-huh, uh-huh, oh, isn't that nice? Uh, I only have one question. Uh, okay, what if we say no? And they would look at him. And he would get answers like, well, I'll have to go back and take this to prayer. Well, I would certainly respect the elders of this uh, church, if that's how they felt. Well, uh, I would obviously be disappointed. But maybe the Lord then has something else for me. If he got answers like that, the answer to him was, they ain't called. No way. Uh-uh. They have no calling. The only acceptable answer, it doesn't have to be literally word for word, but the only acceptable answer was, well, if I don't go, I'll die. Not literally go find the coffin. No, we're not talking about that. But it means inside they would have no completeness. Nothing will satisfy them. All they have to look forward to is emptiness. Because this is my life. If I don't go, I'll die. His answer is simply, okay, you're called. No problem. <laughs> let's, let's, let, 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 let's get you started. That was a lot of wisdom there. Because if these gifts are really operating in people, now bear in mind, people can work pastorally. You have people in our church that help with pastoral care. Doesn't make them pastors, but they do pastoral work. Okay? Any class we have here where we have instructions in the Word of God, you don't have to be a pastor to do it. Home, home groups that people have. You're pastoring, you're teaching. You are. It doesn't mean you're a pastor. Please don't get business cards. But yeah, that's a pastoral work, a teaching work. But if you're called to this gift, that's a different story. You must do this or nothing else in life will satisfy. It will, and here's the point here, a calling will drive you. If you're not driven, not in an abnormal sense, but, in, but if you're not driven to this, this is my life. There's no calling. There's no calling. You just add it into your life that you're doing a nice work and we appreciate you, but you're not called. A calling will drive you. And few of them are called. 
So as we, you know, close here tonight, let's just close in prayer here. If we would just bow our heads. Uh, if you feel like you want to come to the altar, fine. If we just bow our heads here. Uh, let's just seek the Lord here for a, a couple minutes before we close and tarry before the Lord. Because I had not planned to say this tonight, uh, but as I was looking over what I was going to possibly share, uh, the Lord told me, as we look at these tonight, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, some of them are here tonight in their infancy. Some of them are here tonight in a calling, a calling that still has to develop. But it starts with not doubting that you're called. Starting to realize, I need to establish my calling that I know what it is. I need to establish my calling, does it drive me? And it's okay to say no. If it doesn't drive you, at least you know where, what you're not doing. But are you driven? Some people are so dissatisfied in their Christian walks because they're not walking out their callings. They're running from them. All through the Word of God, people run from their callings because it's such, such an immense thing. But He still calls you. It'll drive you. So as we close tonight in prayer here, I don't know where you're all at. Whoever I might be talking to, maybe one person, maybe more than one, I don't know. Maybe some listening on a podcast, I don't know. But I would just encourage you to throw yourself into the calling. Don't run from it. Gravitate towards it. Throw yourself into it. Find out what the Lord has made you into. What spiritual giftings you have in you. Because if you've discovered that, nothing else in life will satisfy. Nothing. It's something you must do. The body of Christ cheers you on and wants you. Be teachable, find out, be trained, be equipped. But who are you? Respond to the call of God. Father God, for those, all those here tonight, Lord, I pray for. And those who would be listening online, Father, live, on podcast. Lord God, you do give gifts to men and women. And they're not uh, given up. They're purposeful gifts for life. You don't pull them back. Lord God, may my brothers and sisters who would be hearing my voice, Lord, in any capacity, Father, may they draw nearer to you, Lord God. Those that you've been calling and drawing, Holy Spirit, bring them into a deeper depth of the call.